This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 150 of the iFreaks show. This week on our panel, we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. And James Zuber. Yo, 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 coming at you live from the land of sky blue waters. <laughs> wow. So if you, if you put me in San Francisco with AJ from JavaScript Fabber, there's going to be some influences. That's just how it works. Oh, yeah, I man. guess I guess it, he rubbed off on you. Yeah, that is his shtick every time he's on JavaScript Jabber. So I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're just going to kind of, uh, usually the, the 50th, or, you know, whatever multiple of 50 episodes we do kind of turns into, you know, talking about the show and kind of BSing around a little bit. It's a whole lot less formal than our regular shows. So maybe we should start it off. I have a little confessional. I tend to do this mostly on the freelancer show. It's like, yeah, I, uh, I know I shouldn't do this, but I do it anyway, or I know I should do this and I haven't. But yeah, so about three years ago, uh, I started looking into starting this show because I wanted to learn how to build iOS apps. And guess what I have failed to do over the last three years? <laughs> really learn how to build iOS apps. Well, while we're confessing things, you want to hear a confession from me? Yeah. I started doing iOS development in like March or April of 2008 when the iOS SDK was in beta. And at the time, it was not just open to the public. You had to sort of submit an application to Apple and they would decide whether they wanted to let you into the beta or not. Not everybody got in. Uh, but I was a Mac developer and had a Mac app that I was had already been selling for a long time. And so I got in and I, I downloaded the beta and I started working with it. And I've done iOS development ever since. But I've never released my own iOS app on the store. So I've worked on lots of iOS apps that have shipped, but they've always been for other people. And one of these days, I would like to release my own iOS app on the store. I think we're three for three on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's even funnier is that uh, at this point... It's equally likely that if I do release an app on the App Store, it'll be written in JavaScript. You know, it's equally likely that it'll be written in JavaScript as Swift. Boo. <laughs> I know, right? Don't tell any of our guests, recent or soon-to-be guests, that I said that. Well, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, the whole landscape of of iOS development has changed. I mean, Cordova kind of brought some of that in where you were building in a web view. Uh, I never really liked that as a solution just because it wasn't fully native. You can make the case that JavaScript core is or isn't, but at least it has the bridge to, you know, the Swift or Objective-C runtime. But yeah, it's just, and, and usually those apps actually do pull in native uh, views or view elements. So anyway, I really, I have decided though, over the last few weeks that the the podcasts need to be my top priority because I've kind of been flailing around and doing a lot of different things. And in so choosing, I have decided that I do need to learn how to build iOS apps in Swift just because that's what we talk about on the show every week. The other one that I also have a confessional on is that I really haven't dug deep on Angular and I have a show on Angular as well. 
I realize that a lot of the value I bring is, you know, making sure that the episodes go out every week, but I do want to be able to be more conversant with the, some of the topics we've talked about. Cool. Well, you know, some people that know how to write Swift apps. So yeah, I figure I can uh, ping any number of people and just kind of see where that's gone or see where that goes. But yeah, so <laughs> there, I, I fessed up. It only took me three years. I know you were talking a while back about wanting to do a TVOS app, an Apple TV app for uh, devchat.tv. Yeah. You, are you still thinking about that? I am still thinking about that. Honestly, the Apple TV and Roku and some of those excite me more than the phone does. And so I'm really tempted to go that direction, though I don't know that there are good tutorials out there for that that aren't really written for people who already do iOS development. Yeah, I don't know. TVOS is actually very much just iOS with, you know, some things that are missing and some other things that are added and a little different to deal with the fact that it's on a TV screen instead of a phone with a touch interface, but 95% it's the same. Yeah, the other bit of this that's uh, not iOS directly related is that I spend so much time doing the uh, online conferences. We did iOS Remote Conf last week and the podcasts that I really don't have time to really dig in. And so I'm actually working on offloading a whole bunch more stuff related to the podcasts and conferences and stuff so that I do have the time to go and dig into this. So it's it's kind of a two-pronged effort. And I think over the next month or two, it's going to be mostly focused on clearing more time on my plate so that I can dig into this stuff more. Because sometimes we get into topics where I don't even have enough basic knowledge to begin to understand some of the nuances with it, because I just don't understand some of the constraints that go into building an iOS app on that deep a level. I mean, I can speak general programming. I get a lot of the concepts that are there in Swift, the language. But uh, some of the frameworks really kind of, you know, I just don't have enough context to really get them. And that's kind of where I like to be. I don't have to be the expert, but I want to be a little bit more conversant, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's good to have a range of experience on the show because Andrew and I can get into the weeds pretty good. And we forget that you know a lot of the a lot of our listeners maybe haven't been developing as long as we have or developing iOS. So we can get in the weeds pretty quickly and not realize that we're just going over people's heads. Yeah, that's actually one change that I want to make to this show. I've also been pushing for the same kind of change in the Angular show and the freelancing show, and that is that I want to bring on more new people. We've kind of had that on Ruby Rogues and JavaScript Jabber, and it's been really helpful. I mean, when we go off on the deep end, you know, there's somebody there that basically will come in and say, I don't quite understand what you're talking about. I think you're talking over here in this area. And we can back up and explain it for some of the newer folks. And I think that's really, really helpful. It makes the shows much more approachable for everybody. The other thing is, is that let's say everybody on the panel does have deep experience in in an area. That doesn't necessarily mean that everybody who would even be considered an iOS expert has deep experience in that area. So by having somebody new, we can kind of force the conversation back for people who are intermediate or advanced in other areas, but not that one. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I like the fact that we talk about, you know, advanced topics and, and also try to be beginner friendly, even if we're sometimes we have a hard time with that. And I think it could be improved by having beginners, but it doesn't really matter if you consider yourself an expert or if you're brand new to programming, even experts are not experts on every single topic that we might talk about. So we definitely, I think it's definitely really important for us to sort of keep a beginner perspective in mind, as well as an expert perspective in mind when we're talking about these things. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah, I've done my best to ask 
the beginner questions if I see them coming up, but I know I have a lot of blind spots. Yeah, I think we all do, and it's just that we've been doing this for a while. I mean, we get into some of the web-related stuff, and, you know, I definitely have blind spots there, too, where I just assume everybody knows what REST is or something. Yeah, with the web. I think last time I did web work, Backbone was cool, so I'm out of it. <laughs> Backbone's still cool. There are just much cooler things out there. Okay. Relative coolness, I suppose. Yeah, it's definitely not the hot technology these days. So, you know, that being said, I'm I'm curious, over the last year, what, what have kind of been some of the highlights for the show? I, I have to prepare for this. I don't remember. I can't remember what shows we did. When. Sometimes I'll think back to a show we did, and then I find out it was two years ago, and it seems like yesterday, you know? Yeah, that's true. Are there any episodes that just stand out to you as favorites? Um, I really like the show we did with uh, the guys from the Perfect Framework, the server-side Swift. Yeah, that um, was really interesting. Just seeing where, you know, open sourcing Swift has kind of taken us has been kind of interesting. I liked the episode we did with Felix Krauss about Fastlane, and I've gotten some good feedback from people that have have listened to that offline, you know. And it's something that continues to be – Fastlane is something that I think continues to be pretty big. I don't know. I guess a big story in iOS over the past year or so. Yeah, it's definitely taken over any company that has to deal with continuous integration or provisioning with a lot of different devices. They're just going. They're going to Fastlane in droves, so it's definitely worth it. Yeah, I really t- liked talking with Miguel de Casa from the Xamarin Project. That was really cool because um, I got my start in iOS development using his product before it was Xamarin, when it was Monotouch. But that's how I got my feet wet in iOS development and jumped into you know, pure native Objective C and eventually Swift from there. So that was cool to get the background on that story. Yeah, I think that one was re- released last week. So. As we're speaking anyway. so I've had a few people say they listened to that and, and really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed talking to Miguel. I think, I think he was just, um, he was just really fun to talk to and approachable. And, you know, he's sort of one of the most accomplished guests we've ever had being founder of Gnome and Mono and Xamarin. And he's obviously an incredibly talented programmer and business person. And, uh, it was really fun to talk to him and sort of learn some of the history and and low-level details and high-level details, and I really had a great time. Yeah. Uh, One of my favorites was talking to uh, Andy Hunt and Jared Richardson about the grows method and that that kind of sort of the management problems and the people problems are, for me, just as interesting as the technical problems. And so being able to talk about that or talking to Neil Ford about some of the stuff he's talked to us about have also been really, really fun for me. And just digging into, okay, why do we think about things the way we think about them and what are we doing to make it better? And then just having some of these approaches to some of that stuff really, really kind of hit me where I live. So we did an episode, I think about a year ago with, uh, not quite a year ago, um, with Dustin and Dylan Bruznak. I don't know if you remember that episode, but those guys were, they were hilarious. That was a really fun show. We should try to get them back. We, we were talking about sort of the business of apps, I think. Yeah. Icon Factory? Is that where they were from? Yeah, Icon Factory's, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it's basically Icon Factory's sort of development, contract development arm. Yeah, they're on Icon Factory. Yeah, I run into them quite a bit over the year at various dev events, and they're always a lot of fun. And hard to get a word in for those two. They're good talkers. <laughs> yep. You, just, you can just put a mic in front of them. I don't think we even need to be there. Yeah, it was a great episode. I wasn't actually on that episode, but I listened to it uh, when I was out driving. And, yep, a lot of good info and great stuff. Yeah, I think one other highlight for this year, and we've kind of been talking about it, is the Build Conference that we went to a couple of weeks ago. 
I'm, I'm really curious, like, what was your take on that uh, and, you know, how it went? Well, first off, no one believes me when I say we went to a, a Microsoft conference. They're like, what? Why are you going to a Microsoft conference? Well, like, and well, Microsoft paid for us. You went to a Microsoft yeah, conference. Yeah, I was like, well, I went because they paid. For, they flew me out there and put, uh, put me up in a nice hotel. And they just don't think I'm being serious at all. So, like, what do Apple developers let at build? I've got some pretty skeptical reactions, too. I mean, basically everybody that knows me, both in real, regular life and, you know, people that know me in the industry, know that I've been a pretty hardcore Apple person for a long time. Might have even been one of those people who didn't like Microsoft at one point. But So they've been kind of shocked that I went to build. And I'm not going to WWDC as far as I know. So, But I did have a great time. Well, and it's funny, even even in the JavaScript world, I mean... There's still a lot of open source JavaScript people that, you know, they were like, you went to Microsoft's conference? And then I told them that I was there for the iOS podcast, too. And you watch their eyebrows climb, right? (laughs) Really? I'm curious to know, uh, maybe not so much you, Chuck, because you've kind of got your hands in in other things. But at least James and I have been pretty focused on on Apple for the last several years. I I wonder, though, what your take on the conference overall. Not so much what we did there. I'd like to talk about that, too, but. What did you think of the conference? The conference itself? Well, I didn't go to any of the sessions. I went to the keynotes when I was there for the first two days. I thought it was really interesting. I'm not a, I don't know. It feels like, so comparing it to like the Apple keynotes, the Apple keynotes feel a whole lot more polished. There were some other things that just kind of generally were like, okay, whatever. But some of the announcements were really exciting and really interesting. And it really felt like they were trying to put as much good information out there as they could about what they were working on. And so overall, I, I really had a positive impression of the conference, even though not everything really catered to my interests. I thought it was well thought out. Uh, you know, it was very well put together. And, uh, you know, just, you know, we, we had our hands held a little bit as far as like getting people lined up for us to interview and things like that, uh, which was also really nice. And I really like hanging out with the .NET Rocks guys anyway. So, you know, overall, I had a very positive experience, and I thought the conference itself was very well organized and put together. Yeah, definitely. The the .NET Rocks guys were definitely fun to hang out with, and they were excellent hosts. So they're the ones who set this whole thing up. They're the ones who brought us out here because Microsoft wanted people from the iOS community to be out there and talking about their stuff and see what they're doing because Microsoft tried to do a phone, and they tried pretty hard. (laughs) <laughs> and they they failed pretty hard. They built a great product. Um, I think anyone who's tried a Microsoft, the Windows phone, said this is a solid product, but no one bought it, which means developers never wrote anything for it, which means even more people didn't buy it. So I think they, they punted on that. Okay, they're playing well with you know, iOS. They're playing well with Android now. They're trying to get the word out. Yeah, did they even... I think I heard one mention during any of the keynotes at all about Win- Windows phone. I don't know if I even heard one, and I thought one thing that was sort of striking is that they did demos on stage at the keynote that were done on iPhones and Android phones, and they did not do them on Windows phones. I also, you know, as much as I could, when I saw Microsoft employees walking around, I was curious to know what kind of phones they had, and they mostly had iPhones and and some Android phones. And I did see a few Windows phones, but they were definitely not the majority. Yeah, they did do some demos, though, on uh, Surface tablets, though. Well, yeah. So I think Surface is actually doing quite well, but yeah, that's sort of a completely different thing than their phones. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, people are definitely liking the Surface. It's got the Microsoft Word that capability. It's small, so a lot of people are really liking that. I think people are pretty impressed with it. 
Well, and to an extent that the iPad doesn't, I feel like it really actually does sort of replace a laptop. I mean, you could, you know, it runs Windows. It doesn't run, uh, you know, Windows Phone OS, you know, sort of like the iPad does iOS. And so you have a lot more of the capabilities you would expect from Windows because it is Windows on the Surface tablet. And I think that plays a lot to the power of the Surface tablets as opposed to iOS. So depending on what flavor you like and what you need, it, it makes a lot of sense that people are going for the Surface tablet. I thought, to kind of circle back around a little bit, I, as far as the conference goes, I thought it was really interesting to be there. I thought it was kind of weird to be there, to be honest, because I am I just have not really paid any attention to Microsoft until now. And I have to admit that, you know, 80% of the stuff they talked about was somewhere in between uh, uninteresting and downright boring to me, which doesn't mean it was bad because th- their audience is different. But there was a lot of stuff that I just don't care about, like yeah. biz- business intelligence or, you know, this and that. That's some enterprise solution that I'm never going to care about because I don't do and don't want to do enterprise development. Um, on the other hand, it was kind of fun to go somewhere where they had something like the HoloLens, which I, you know, I, mean, I don't know, I guess never say never, but I don't really see Apple, at least nothing Apple has announced so far is in that area. And, you know, that was just like a cool coming soon sort of future technology. We, Jame and I, and I think you did too, right, Chuck? We all got to try the HoloLens on and yes. see how it works. And so, so you got to go through the Mars Encounter? Yeah, yeah. I went through the Mars Encounter and then Jame got the VIP treatment somehow. Nice. Yeah, I went, through, I went through the same line and I got a different ticket. I'm like, what is this? I wanted the Mars... I wanted the Mars Attacks or whatever it was, the Mars Encounter. Or, <laughs> Mars or, Attacks, I love it. <laughs> I, we should probably talk about what, what the HoloLens is. It's a it's a wearable device, and you put it over like a pair of glasses, and you can see it's augmented reality, which is different than virtual reality, and I didn't really understand the difference before. Like Virtual reality is where you're completely immersed in what's happening. Augmented is you see what's happening in the actual room you're in, but you have different objects that you can also see that interact with the the real world. My understanding is, so the current state of the art with virtual reality is that you're wearing a headset that completely blanks out the current world. Uh, so there's no overlay on the current world. It's actually fully immersive. And the HoloLens, to a certain degree, did that when you were standing on Mars. But a lot of the other demo, for example, when you're standing there and you're looking at basically Mars floating in the middle of the room you're standing in, that's clearly augmented reality because you can see the room. You just see Mars floating in the middle of it. And so it adds that to the reality and augments the reality you're standing in as opposed to completely, you know, immersing you in the reality and you you don't have context in the current natural world. Even when you're actually on Mars, you could very much see the room. And in fact, that was, I thought, my impression of HoloLens when I put it on was I was very impressed by it. I have an o- Oculus, a first-generation Oculus, which, as everybody knows, um, has pretty bad latency, and you get yeah. you get sort of motion sick, and if you move your head back and forth, it obviously can't track quick movements very well. The HoloLens was really good in that regard. It had very low latency. I thought the audio was kind of amazing. Nobody talks about it, but the audio is binaural, so it sounds sound like they're actually coming from, you know, different directions. And as you turn your head, it's adjusted to seem like it's coming from a fixed location in the room. And yet you're not wearing headphones. So they're doing some sort of, I don't know if it's bone conduction or ambient or whatever. My one kind of complaint is that the field of view is quite limited. I mean, if you think about it, you're looking at a fairly small screen in front of you. So it's only sort of stuff right in the middle of your, of your vision that it 
can have uh, HoloLens stuff appear there. And I hope, I assume that's something that, you know, in future generations, years down the line, they will have improved and fixed. But overall, it was just such a cool, promising sort of thing. Yeah, it's definitely very, very early. I think if, I think someone in, like, the upper Midwest has a HoloLens, and everyone in the .NET community got excited. Like, who has that? Some person in Wisconsin somewhere. But it's definitely early technology. So you got to go like to the the main thing that most people went in, where you actually you're you're just seeing what's happening on on Mars. But I, I got in the same line as you, expecting to go to Mars, and I get a different ticket. And I thought I made a mistake, like I went to the wrong line or something. But that was actually a VIP treatment where you can go one on one, and they had a room set up, just like a regular living room, with a bunch of different things you could you could interact with. And you sat down, and you had to. They made you watch a video before you do it to, to teach you the gestures. Because it's very early technology, so it's very easy to get lost. And they had someone in the room with you, walking you through exactly what's happening. Uh, one of the things they had was they had a big dinosaur. You could put in the middle of the room and make it huge, so you could like walk up to this dinosaur, like you're actually in the room with it. And I had done something trying to move it, and like where'd the dinosaur go? And they're like, "Do you look under the floor?" And like, "Oh yeah, I moved it under the floor." So there's a lot of different things like that, but really cool to see kind of their demos. Like you have just objects in a room. They had like a little cat that was sitting on, on a couch, like a real life couch with a virtual cat. I could look at a blank wall. I could play a, a video on like a YouTube video. So I could just sit back in a chair and any, any blank wall, I could um, have it set up like I'm watching a video and oh, wow. surprisingly, yeah, surprisingly decent resolution. So in the future, Maybe we're not buying TVs. We just have a wall. We've got these lenses. We put them on, and you can just watch things. The funniest thing I saw, they had a, a real-life turntable playing a record, and they had a zombie that when you started the record player started to play it, the zombie would just run across the record as it was spinning, and you can interact with stuff like that. So just a lot of cool little demos. So I think a lot of new technology. I mean, it's also, I mean, it's it's very early, very bleeding edge, not even close to usable for anything you know, production ready, but it's it's cool to see Microsoft's out there pushing the envelope and seeing what's next because, you know, they, they dropped it on the phones, but they're trying to be on the next wave for whatever that is. Yeah, I was very impressed with it. You know, I mean, you could, some of the rendering on the HoloLens, you know, you could definitely tell that it was, you know, not, the resolution wasn't the best, but at the same time, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, you could walk up and you could get a real close look at, uh, Buzz Aldrin or real close look at the surface of Mars or things like that. And, you know, you could kneel down and really get a good look at the earth underneath you and stuff like that. So yeah. And I'm really excited to see where it goes to your point about instead of buying a TV, you'll just have a headset where you watch stuff on the wall. I just keep thinking that my kids will then not be fighting over what show they want to watch. I want to watch frozen. Well, I want to watch something else. They just look at a different wall or look at the same wall. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I, I kind of wish that I could have experienced that, but James, right place, right time, right? I was right behind Andrew in line and they just, it was just a, a lottery thing. So that every, every 10 tickets or so was for this thing. Uh, I thought I got a, a raw deal, but it turns out I, I won. Yay. James is the winner. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to, you know, switch back to the conference for a minute. I was really actually very, happy too about just you know how many other technologies they had brought in to demo on the, on the show floor and and to speak at the conference as many people know I'm I'm pretty involved in the angular community 
And it was funny because I was walking over and I saw uh, Anders uh, Heilsberg, who is one of the architects of the C-sharp language and the TypeScript language. And he was talking. Yeah, he, to- did, he did Tur- Turbo Pascal even, even way back then, right? Yeah, he's done, I think he's done so. tons, of, tons of cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we actually did an interview with him for JavaScript Jabber, which should be coming out here within the next few weeks. But I saw him uh, hashing over some TypeScript with someone else. And when I got over there and started talking to the other people around him, because I know the Angular core team. And so I was, you know, I was chatting it up with him. Turned out that it was Mishko from the Angular core team. And it seemed like there were a lot of different collaborations like that just around, um, you know, between Microsoft and Google, for example, uh, with those technologies, TypeScript and, and Angular, or, you know, just some of the other big players that are out there in the room, you know, the, they were there and they were there with their technologies and Microsoft basically had embraced them and invited them to come and play and be a part of the conference. And so it's a different Microsoft from the one that we were complaining about five years ago where they were all kind of closed off and they didn't want to be involved in the community and they weren't sharing their code and they weren't, you know, opening things up so people could do interesting stuff with it. That all has completely changed. And they've opened up all of this stuff and made it very, very accessible. I mean, they they bought Xamarin like a month or so ago, and they've already open sourced Xamarin. Uh, you know, they open sourced uh, the Objective or not Objective C, the C Sharp runtime uh, last year, I think. And so all of these things, you know, they have all of these technologies that they want people to use, they want people to understand, and want people to be able to take advantage of. And you know, I felt like that was really a flavor of the conference that was very, very nice. And we kind of talked about that a little bit with the iPhone and inviting an iOS podcast to show up. But it it really was apparent, not just in the, you know, the way the conference was set up, but just the people who were there and participating. Um, They weren't talking like, well, we're just trying to help Microsoft make another buck by reaching another audience. It really was Microsoft wants to make contributions to the world and to the growth of open source and the growth of technology in general. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've talked to people in the in the .NET community, people that were Microsoft employees, you know, five years ago, and they're just like, "We never would have believed this would happen. This would never, never would have happened five years ago." So it's, it's definitely a different ball game. Yeah. Uh, but as far as the conference itself, if you've been to Dub Dub, the Apple conference, you're you're going to be spoiled because Apple does an amazing job of organizing everything. Everything is planned down to the T. All the sessions are completely rehearsed and well done even to the keynotes and Microsoft's not really up, up to that you know the keynote was not as like it went on pretty long and there were two keynotes that were both pretty long and people were kind of bailing out a little bit so you know if, if would I go to build if I wasn't if I even if, if I was Microsoft developer not as much I think the content is not as relevant to the day-to-day day-to-day de- developer as far as like pushing the envelope of code but they're are a lot of cool things happening. I didn't realize that a lot of the sessions weren't as technical as, as I had, had hoped. If they talked about some technology, I, I was expecting them to get into code. And the ones that, at least on the floor near the podcast, were more higher level things. And I didn't realize that until I'd been to two or three. And like, oh, the code ones are in, actually in a different building. They did it across the street at the the Marriott. That's where the more code heavy ones had the huge rooms. But that was that was the difference. But I thought sort of the same thing, James. And I actually went to, I, I just went to one session at the Marriott, which was the Project Islandwood or Windows Bridge for iOS session. And that was, uh, they did get into code there and, and 
it was nice to see sort of a technical talk. It, I, I have to say it was a little, the whole conference was a little overwhelming to me. It felt harder to keep on top of everything that was going on than it is at WWDC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's shorter too. It's Wednesday to half day Friday. So if you're expecting five days to get everything in, you know, you're going to be dis- disappointed. There's less stuff. And the mornings are pretty much taken up by keynotes Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah, I do kind of regret a little bit that we didn't get more interviews scheduled for this show on Wednesday and Thursday when I was there, because Friday I had to take off because I had other arrangements that I had already made when this got set up, and I couldn't change my plans. So, yeah, so most of the interviews you're actually going to hear Jame and Andrew and not me, but, but yeah. I tell you, after the third episode of the date, things get a little bit weird. <laughs> it was a little surreal talking that much podcasting. Yeah, I, I mean, it would have been better to have them more spread out, but I still had such a great t- great time recording the ones we recorded. And, of course, my favorite was the, the Project Islandwood episode, which is not out yet. I don't know where coming, it is. In coming in the future. But yeah, the next... Can you give us a preview? What is, what is Islandwood? Project Islandwood is Microsoft's project that allows you to use Objective-C as a development language for Windows, so you can write Windows apps in Objective-C, and it also includes a re-implementation or their own impl- implementation of major parts of iOS frameworks like UIKit, etc. Uh, and it's a, it's all an open source project. I find that really interesting considering that Microsoft has been trying to get more apps written for Windows Phone and, uh, you know, the Surface Books. And by opening that up to people who are already writing apps like these for the iOS platform, and making it as easy as they can, I think they may get more crossover from that sort of arrangement. I think I think it's really interesting that they took that approach, since uh, clearly having people write Windows Phone apps just didn't catch on. Yeah, definitely. When I when I first heard about Project Island Wood, I'm like, this is pie in the sky. This is just experimental technology. It's not anywhere cl- close to anything. But after talking with the PM, I'm like, there's actually been some significant apps that have been ported from iOS to, to Windows, you'll have to listen to find out which ones, but something you've heard of. And that was my impression of the people that we interviewed. You know, they were, you know, you get the PM roles on a, on a podcast and you think, okay, product person can't really get into the code. So it's going to be a high level episodes. And the people we talked to were definitely technical people. They were people like us who founded a company, did well, built up some technology and they sold to Microsoft and they're, their roles became program managers and evangelists and you know, working on product and that type of thing. So people that we talked to were you know, very smart. You know, the guy from Project, the two people from Project Islandwood, Miguel de Casa, um, the guy from Hockey App. I was very impressed with the guests. I, I wasn't expecting to really get to really dig into the technical stuff, but we were able to. So I was pretty happy with the episodes. Yeah, and and there were also other people that I made contact with that I wanted to try and get on the show. So for example, uh, for JavaScript Jabber, we talked to the folks who pulled together the Azure app services, which is something that iOS developers can definitely take advantage of for backend or third party services. They also have things set up so that you can easily set up the new open source version of parse that was released after Facebook announced that they were shutting it down. And so that, you know, they make that really easy to get set up and get running on Azure app services. And so, you know, I'd like to get, you know, that interview set up over here and a few others over there where, you know, they do have these services that make things easier. And we we did talk to some of those folks, but there were others that, you know, just kind of stood out as, oh, 
this has some great crossover here between the two. Yeah, well, one departure from the, the conference, like the only really major company conference, sponsored conference I've, I've been to, you know, was dubbed up or in the area. And for WWDC, like people go just to be around it, even if they don't have a ticket. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't much happening um, outside of the conference. There was a, like a pre-party at the Thirsty Bear, you know, the night before the conference started. And there was the, the major conference party, like the last night, Thursday night. And so Wednesday night, not much happening. We did our own thing with the .dot next rock guys and with the different podcasts. Had a little meet up there. But as far as the community showing up and sponsoring different parties, having a bunch of things to go to, much less of that than maybe you're expecting with uh, Dub Dub. Why do you, Why do you think that is, James? I agree with you. I, I definitely think that was true. Why do you think the difference? I don't know. I I think couldn't say. Maybe because it's a shorter conference. I think it also just comes down to the fact that Microsoft has kind of created that culture around WWDC. Where you mean you mean Apple has or Apple? Yeah, Apple has created that that sort of culture and 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 that sort of following around WWDC. Where I don't know that Microsoft has really cultivated the sort of mass interest in what's going on at their developer conference as I much th- as they, you know, they just generally try and market. They market differently to the developers than they do to their sort of their their fan or purchasing base. I think you're right, but I also think historically Apple was the underdog, and and you know it's well known that Apple has lots and lots of passionate fans, yeah. especially did, and and they still sort of do, even though they're now a huge, very successful company in some ways more successful than Microsoft, at least financially, and um, but they still sort of have that aura around them and that historical legacy of people who love Apple. And I think that extends to developers too. So WWDC does seem much more like a party and like something you go to equally for fun and, and because it's valuable professionally. Whereas I got the impression that most people that go to build are at build because they're, you know, they develop using Microsoft technologies, their work pays for them to be there. It's, it's valuable professionally. They're not there because they love Microsoft and, you know, it's sort of a hobby for them too. So what you're saying is that Build is more of a professional event, WWDC is more of a cultural event? Well, yeah, a little both. I mean, certainly the conference itself at WWDC oh, is a bunch, bunch of technical sessions, and it's about the new APIs that are coming out and all that. But uh, outside of the conference, there are parties and meetups and you know this and that, and, and that's all sort of the old Apple, yeah. Apple fan club, basically. Well, the other thing is, is for example, I listened to a handful of shows on the Twit Network this week in tech, and I'll tell you that, like this week in tech, you know, there were a few things that were mentioned that were announced at the Build Conference. For example, Bash coming to Windows, but for the most part, most of those announcements they didn't really talk over. But um, when WWDC happens, you know, even Twit this week in tech, they spend a good hour or so dissecting the Apple keynote, even though in reality, you know, it's kind of the same thing between them both. And the reason is, is because Apple just puts this polish and, you know, at the same time, they, they make these big announcements knowing that a lot of the product lines that they're talking about are things that the consumers want to know about as well. And so, you know, they have the big show where they, you know, they bring out all of the things that they're going to show off in the keynote and then they go and they show all the developers all the technical aspects of what they announced in the keynote. And with Build, it still felt like they were talking to developers about what developers cared about even in the keynotes. I think that's fair. 
So as we record this, the WWDC lottery is open. Have either of you guys registered and are hoping to go? I have not. I don't know what week it is. June 13th through the 17th. So as I value my life, no, I'm not going to go this year. My wife's family is doing a family reunion that week. And so it would be my hide <laughs> if I tried to go. So I put my, my bid in for the ticket. I've already booked a flight. I've got a place to stay. So I'll be there. I might be across the street at Allcom, but I'll, I'll be in San Francisco. I decided I can't afford it this year, unfortunately. I actually have a hotel uh, reserved there because I reserved it just in case, but at this point I'm not going to go, so I'll, I'll cancel it. Unfortunately, I'm sad about it because I, I want to go, but I guess I'll have to plan further in advance for next year. So one thing I wanted to talk about is the different technologies that Microsoft introduced. Did you have any cause I, the, the stuff in the keynote? They introduced some pretty new, pretty new uh, cool technologies. Do you have any ideas for that? Well, I think uh, my overall takeaway from the Microsoft keynote, and we should, I, I want to say for, for people listening that have never been to Build. So I, I woke up on the first morning, on Wednesday morning, and to go to the keynote and looked at the schedule, and it was, it, the keynote was scheduled to be two and a half hours long. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's incredible because the Apple keynotes are two hours, and even those sometimes get boring for me. And, and you know, and I care about Apple. And I thought two and a half hours is going to be excruciating. And it kind of was. I mean, there were parts of it that were really good, and then there were parts where I thought, just get off the stage. This is boring. And then I woke up the next morning, and it turned out the second day there's another keynote, and that one was two hours and 45 minutes. So if there's one thing that, you know, if I just could tear into Microsoft, it's they need somebody whose job it is to edit their keynotes down to two hours. And that's that, you know, a total of five hours and 15 minutes of keynotes is really actually insane. So you have to filter out about 80% of the stuff they talked about because it really was not worthy of being in the, you know, the big main keynotes. With that stuff filtered, there was some really cool stuff. I think maybe the biggest, the, the kind of the thing that I didn't know anything about and was not expecting that I thought was really cool is they announced an um, API. I don't know what it's called, but anyway, it's basically that all of their machine learning stuff is available as a REST API that you can use in your mobile apps or your web apps or any kind of app where, you know, like they have image recognition and whatever else that's relying on big data and machine learning stuff that only a organization the size of Microsoft can really do that well. But you, any developer can use it now. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool stuff. Uh, one thing I was impressed with was their kind of Cortana API. Cortana is their version of Siri, mm -hmm. the voice input, but they released an API. So developers making apps can actually integrate voice into their applications. And that's something we haven't seen from Apple yet. But I'm guessing if Microsoft is on it, Apple's probably got something in the hopper too. So that might be coming up for this dub dub. And another thing, along with the Cortana API for just apps and web stuff, they introduced uh, the idea of a, a chatbot, which I hadn't known that much about it, where instead of creating an app, you've got a little uh, a voice thing. Uh, they mentioned something where you order like a pizza, a Domino's pizza, and um, it has more intelligence than it can remember maybe what you ordered or what your favorite is, but you're interacting with uh, the chatbot just by voice or by typing stuff in. So instead of creating a whole user interface, you're interacting in like a text-based interface or either with voice. So I thought that was a new interesting departure because as we get more into say the internet of things, you know, maybe we don't have screens as much, you know, maybe we get voice coming back. If we're talking to our oven or whatever, we don't necessarily want a screen or somewhere else, not looking at it. We can do it through voice or different interactions. So I thought that were, that was an interesting way that Microsoft is pushing things forward. So I think that 
represents a new paradigm that I think will be pretty important, even though it's going to be completely useless for, you know, a number of years. But I think that's I, where things are going. I thought that was cool, too. And I thought something that was interesting is that Microsoft announced that and then Facebook's developer conference, which I think is called D8, was last last week. And they actually announced something very similar for uh, Facebook Messenger, the ability to create chat bots. And anyway, I think that, and, and, and of course, Slack is already sort of doing that. You know, there's already bots in Slack that can mm-hmm. you can interact with. So I wonder, I, I that's something that sort of comes out of left field for me, but it seems like it's becoming an important and big trend. Yeah, I, th- yeah I, thought that was, I thought it was really interesting, you know, just the capabilities there. And also just the way that everything kind of tied together so that you could use Cortana in in Skype or Skype bots or you could use them in Office or you could use them in, you know, some of the other Microsoft properties if you have them installed on your on your system. Yeah, it makes me wonder when or if we'll ever get a Siri API. I mean, w- w- one thing that makes that a little difficult is that more so than some of the other companies, Apple seems very concerned about privacy and it's a lot harder to open Siri up to developers while keeping it sort of private and secure. I don't know what Microsoft's doing with Cortana, but you know, in general, Apple s- seems to have that that tension making it more difficult for them to provide an API, but maybe someday they'll figure out how to, you know, how to do that. Maybe it'll be announced at WWDC, you never know, right? That's my call. It's happening. Siri API. Well, I, I, I would really love that, and a lot of other people would, too. I think the closest you can get right now is, is HomeKit. If you create a HomeKit device, that can hook into Siri. Um, in fact, I think that's really the only thing HomeKit gets you right now, but otherwise you can't you can't create your own extensions to Siri. And being able to do that with Cortana is pretty cool, and, and I, we should point out, I think, that Cortana is available for iOS. It's not just a Microsoft platforms thing. There, they have a, a library for that framework. Well, I don't know about a library, but there's a Cortana app, and somehow I, oh, okay. as I understand it. It's I think Cortana extensions maybe can live server side or something. I don't really know how it all works. I should yeah, I, I got much, I got the impression from the keynote that yes, they run on a server somewhere. You, you know, I, I don't know to the to what extent you have to install them in your Cortana app. You know, to say I want the Domino's capability, which you know you mentioned, and they they showed off. Or what? I don't know. But yeah, my impression was that, yeah, then it would just do the work and, you know, talk to some other server somewhere to, you know, get the right thing done with the right API. Anything else that we should go into about build or just the show in general before we start heading toward picks? I think we've surpassed our our audience's ability to handle Microsoft content. Don't worry, you're almost done. Oh wait, no, we have more episodes coming up. Uh, but I think th- I think that the episodes we have coming out are really good stuff for iOS developers. Definitely, we'll be back to the non-Microsoft format in a few weeks, right? Yep. Yeah, and I think we're actually lining up. What's his name? Ryan. Ryan Salva. Yeah, because that interview got cut short. So we'll. Yeah, well, he's a, he's a Microsoft employee, but the stuff we're going to talk about is really not Microsoft specific stuff. We're going to talk about like Cordova and React React Native and. Things that Microsoft is supporting and embracing, but they're not really Microsoft things. You know, if Apple wanted to invite us to come to WWDC and record podcasts, I'm sure we would, you know, at least consider it. Yeah, I I'm, think about it. I, I would definitely have to take that in, into consideration. Your move, Apple. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Uh, Jane, do you have some picks for us? So I've got one pick. Uh, this is a blog post by someone who's been mentioned on the show, but we've never really had him on. Brad Larson, who's been, who Janie Clayton did some work with. And he's got, he's part of the, 
he did the GPU image library, which he's recently redone for Swift, and he did a very lengthy, not a very lengthy, but a, a excellent blog post on the design process he went with and going with Swift and why and some of the justification and how he made the changes. So that is great reading for people who are navigating the differences in the two worlds and wondering why to use um, one approach versus the other or what to change. So I'm going to go with a blog post today. Um, introducing GPU Image 2, redesigned in Swift by uh, Sunset Lake Software. That is th- my pick. I think that's pretty cool that GPU Image has been completely redone in Swift. And one thing I wanted to add is that um, I, I saw from Brad tweeting, but but he also, I think, talks about it in that blog post, that uh, it's a cross-platform thing that will run on Raspberry Pi and that sort of thing. So GPU Image is not just a Mac and iOS thing anymore. Yeah, that's definitely cool. Cool. Andrew, what are your picks? I just have one pick today. It's a subscription box. I know I picked one of those last week, but this one is different. It's called Candy Japan. My wife got this for me for some occasion that I can't remember. I think Valentine's Day. But it's just uh, it's a subscription where two times a month you get a box of candy from Japan. And I lived in Japan for a while, and uh, they have a lot of candy that we don't have here that's you know interesting and fun, like lots of different flavors of Kit Kat bars and just cool stuff. So anyway, you just get a box with some Japanese candy twice a month, and I've gotten a few of them now, and it's good stuff, and it's been a lot of fun to have them show up. So that's my pick. Yeah, speaking of Japanese food, the ramen in Japantown was, oh my gosh. Oh yeah, so we as a, as a um as i freaks we went and got ramen in Japan. I was highly skeptical, I will say. Chuck said, "Why is this better than what I can make myself?" and he meant instant ramen, you know, like 10 cent top ramen and uh needless to say his mind was changed. Yeah. Yeah, it was so good. Um we actually went and got ramen in Las Vegas uh the week after when I was at Microconf and it wasn't as good. Yeah, but I was I was very impressed. So for the pick, we went to Ramen Yamadaya, and Andrew was the the host because he spent some time in Japan, so he was able to help us out and tell us the good stuff to have. But it's excellent. It's actually a chain, so there's a number of restaurants like in L.A. and that are in California, but it was excellent. So I didn't know Japan Town was a thing, so I was happy to find it. And yeah, the ramen was excellent, and I'd never really had ramen other than the you know ten cent package that I heated up in college. So that was excellent. Yeah, now I have to figure out how to make it here. Oh, I don't know about that, Chuck. I was going to take a class that they had at the University of Utah, like a continuing education class about making ramen, and I hope they'll do it again because I want to take it. But the kind that we had takes, it's quite an involved and long, long process. All right. Well, Andrew and I are going to partner and uh, <laughs> open a ramen restaurant. Here. Yeah. That used Utah. to be my dream before you could act. There, there are some good ramen places around Salt Lake, Chuck. Right. I'll, I'll have to tell you about them. Yeah, well, you pick and I'll buy. Okay. All right. So I've got a couple of picks, uh, just some things that I've been looking into. So one of them is, in fact, I'll just pick around this thing and then I'll pick around some other stuff next time. But I went to MicroConf. I'm going to pick that. If you're kind of doing your own thing as far as your own business, you're building some kind of SaaS or selling apps or anything like that, I highly recommend that you check out MicroConf, which was the other commitment that I had. I actually went with my mastermind group and, you know, so we did a retreat for the first uh, few days we were there and then went to the conference. Anyway, it's really focused around small businesses, like really small businesses where you have a handful of people maybe in the company or SaaS products uh, are kind of the major uh, things. But 
the real value there is actually the people you meet. And they have networking events every evening for all three nights of the conference. And the lunch breaks are also terrific ways to get to know people. And I just, I, I can't say enough good things about it. While I was there, one of my friends convinced me to give WordPress a try again for the podcasts and introduced me to a few things that I am going to pick right now that have made that a lot easier. One of them is, I, I think it's generatewp.com. I'll have to look that up. But basically, it allows you to create custom post types, which I did for each of the shows in my experimental uh, WordPress setup, which is, it's going to be the the setup that uh, I'm going to be using for the show going forward here in a few a week or two, as soon as I get everything moved over. But it's really handy, yeah. GenerateWP.com. Uh, the other one is Advanced Custom Fields, uh, which allows you to add custom fields to your posts. Then I'm also getting into MemberPress. And I actually met Blair Williams, who's the developer behind it. He's also the developer behind the Pretty Links plugin. And uh, both of those are things that I'm using as well. So I really... I really am and am happy with a lot of this setup. So, uh, yeah, so those are my picks. Uh, one other thing I want to point out real quick before we wrap up is I do have some remote conferences coming up. Uh, we have a couple of re- uh, React Native talks coming up in React Remote Conf, and uh, that's going to be here in a few weeks. And then we've also got Git Remote Conf, Ruby Remote Conf, Newbies Remote Conf, and I'm trying to think, uh, Robots Remote Conf. So if you're interested in any of those, uh, go check those out as well. They're all at allremoteconfs.com. And uh, eventually I'm going to move the conferences over to the same WordPress setup. But for right now, you know, they're all going to remain where they are. So, yeah, definitely uh, enjoying that. Uh, I've really enjoyed the talks. Um, you know, these two gentlemen gave some excellent talks at iOS Remote Conf. And, uh, you know, hopefully hoping to see these grow open to help more people kind of grow in their careers and what they're doing. So yeah, so I'm, I'm going to shout out to that as well. And with that, we'll wrap up and we'll catch y'all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.